Always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Do you believe that? Amen. 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 Do you believe that? Amen. He gives you the strength every day. It doesn't matter if you've got a career or a job. Sometimes you can't get your golden opportunity, so you've got to get something under the golden arches. But you know what? God still gives you the ability to make wealth. And so we're thankful to God. And uh, the, the gentleman who's going to do the entire foyer, uh, oversee the whole project, is hired. He's sending uh, the bids. We're about to start. And it's going to be beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. And it'll be done, Lord willing. It'll all be done sometime around uh, 1st of October. Lord willing. And we said in East Texas, and if the creek don't rise. And it won't. Amen. I like that. All right. It won't rise. All right. Let's, uh, let's look at the principle here because the principle is important. Tithing reminds me that everything was given to me by God. Jesus was asked by the disciples, uh, teach us to pray. Would you do it? And Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray. Can we pray it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can we lift up a prayer to him right now? Father, we thank you that you gave us a guide you gave us, Lord, a prayer guide. You gave us, uh, Lord, the hallmarks of great prayer. And we pray that you will increase our prayer life. I want everyone here tonight, make that a prayer with me, would you? Just say with me, Lord, increase my prayer life. Put new passion in me to pray like I've never prayed before. I receive it and I know that it's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to happen. God hears a prayer like that. And you can be seated. All right. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's keep in mind how this prayer came about. As I just mentioned to you, Jesus had set such a glowing example of prayer in front of the disciples that they finally asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, Jesus made prayer so attractive it didn't look like some humdrum, boring, ritualistic thing when you watch Jesus pray. Jesus prayed with such passion and with such intimacy with God that he really, he moved the hearts of the disciples to want that kind of prayer life. Now, I believe that about Christianity. I believe that we ought to walk with God in such a way that it makes people want what we have. I don't like preaching a Christianity that just sounds like a bunch of rules and regulations and thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that and wouldest and shouldest and couldest and don't this and don't that, don't go here, don't go there. That's not what it is. Real Christianity is a relationship with Jesus that is intimate and real. And so I believe that we ought to walk with him in such a way that people look at us and they go, that's what I want. That is exactly what I want. And that's how Jesus made prayer attractive, 
Jesus made prayer attractive. So the disciples said, teach us how to do what you do. Teach us how to talk to God that way. And as they had heard and watched him pray, a burning desire had grown within them to experience the same intimacy with God. So Jesus taught them this classic prayer and, uh, that we just recited together. And uh, we first saw that Jesus encouraged us to approach God as our Father. The first thing Jesus dealt with when he answered their prayer, teach us to pray, of course that was a prayer, teach us to pray. When he answered their prayer, he said the first thing you're going to have to change is how you view the God you're going to. How do you view God? Is your God an angry God? Is your God an apathetic God? Is your God a distant God? Is your God a God who's just waiting for you to make a mistake? Is your God a, a, an intolerant, unforgiving God? Is your God a God that you really don't feel comfortable talking to? Or is your God daddy? Jesus said, as you learn how to pray, you're going to have to view God as a person, a God who wants to answer you, who loves you like a father, whose child you are. And if you go to him that way, then you, you know he wants to answer you more than you want the answer. He knows what you have need of before you even ask him, Jesus said. And so it matters how you view God. Can you say with me, it matters what I think of God. I've, I've counseled people before. I remember one young lady a long time ago who I counseled about prayer. She was terrified of God. She just felt like God was out to get her, like God was after her. And it took her a long time to get to the place where she could believe that God really did love her, really did accept her, and really did want to answer her prayer. She was all bound up. And that's what religion does to you. Religion teaches you to relate to God according to your performance. Well, how many of you know you're never going to perform good enough to please God? See, we've got to get to the place where we just believe that God accepts us, flaws and all. It's not a performance thing. We are not living by some yardstick and we've got to meet that line or God's not going to bless us. We have been accepted through the blood, totally. So when God sees us, he sees us through sunglasses. S-O-N. That's how God sees you, through sunglasses. And you know what he sees when he sees you through the, the view of his son, through the blood of his son? He doesn't see flaws. He doesn't see mistakes. He doesn't see imperfections. He doesn't see shortcomings. He sees a person he loves and wants to bless. So Jesus said it matters how you view God. It'll profoundly affect how you pray. All right? Then Jesus taught us a proper balance of intimacy and respect when approaching God. We talked about this last week. Uh, we are to hallow his name. And I was sharing with you last time how we have so forgotten that there's a difference between the common and the holy. We have so forgotten to distinguish between what is common or natural or ordinary and what is special and valuable and holy and sacred. I think our culture has totally lost its grip on anything that is sacred. 
Nothing is sacred anymore. You tell me what is sacred to that culture out there. Very little. But Jesus said, I want you to know that the name of God is sacred. It's holy. It's valuable. You don't handle it like any other name. That's why one of the commandments says, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's not talking about using God's name in a cuss word per se. It's saying don't use his name casually. Don't use it in a way where it has no value, no sacredness, because the name of God. So we approach him as our father, but we don't forget at the very same time to hold him sacred. Amen? I'm accepted. But, oh, he is sacred. Take off the sandals from your feet, he told Moses, for the ground you stand on is holy. What made that dirt holy? God was there. And wherever God is, it's holy. And that's why you and the Spirit living in you, you are holy. And he's called you to holiness because God lives in you. We're to treat it sacred. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this time we're going to look at the next part of Jesus' prayer. And let's read it together, can we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something about the Lord's prayer. You'll notice that the first half uh, is totally occupied with God and his interests. They said, teach us to pray. He said, okay, if you're going to learn how to pray... It's not all about you. Can I tell you something about prayers? There are immature prayers and there are mature prayers. I'm talking about people. Immature prayers never rise above praying for their own needs. They never rise above, Lord, help me and mine, amen. We four no more. Put bread on the table, help me to sleep at night, get me to heaven when I die, and that's it. That's the prayer of immature people. Mature people, mature prayers reach a place where it's not only about us, but it's what he's concerned with. And so when they said, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, all right, the first half of the prayer that I'm going to teach you is all about God and what he's interested in. So the second half focuses on personal petitions. The second half. And we start on that next week. But praying for his kingdom to come is all about God's interests in the earth. Praying that his kingdom comes. Jesus makes, and I want you to catch this. This is so crucial. Jesus makes a direct link between God's will being obeyed and his kingdom coming. Manifesting itself and making itself observable. Jesus said, Pray that his kingdom will come as his will is done. I could say tonight he was really saying, Lord, I pray your kingdom comes as I'm doing your will. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's a very important prayer principle. Remember it. Wherever God's will is done, his kingdom will be manifested. Wherever God's will is done, that's what heaven is like. 
Jesus said, there is a heaven. And if you want to know what it's like in heaven, here's what it's like. His will is always done perfectly. There's never a shade or a shadow of sin in heaven. His will is perfectly done. Now, Jesus said, you see that? That's the way it is in heaven. That's the way I want you to be on earth as much as possible. Walk in obedience to the will of God. And when you pray thy kingdom come, then I want you to be willing to do his will. For his will is manifested. His kingdom is manifested. His power is manifested. His favor is manifested. Revival is manifested where his will is done. You can't live a life of disobedience and expect to experience the power of God. It's not going to happen. You can't have your cake and eat it too. All right. Listen to these words of Jesus. Now, this is out of John. Listen to this. The person who has my commands and does what, everybody? Keeps them. Is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father. And then what does he say is going to happen? I too will love him. And what, everybody? Read it with me. And will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. Now, I want you to notice something. Don't change it yet. Watch this. He says, I've got given you some commands. He who does my word, he who does my will, my father is going to see it and my father is going to pour his love out on him and he who is doing my will will have an experience. The experience is I will show, reveal, manifest myself to that person who's doing my will. Have you ever gotten around somebody who was just like the kingdom of God walked up with them? Have you ever known somebody like that? They're kind of rare. There's a lot of people who are saved, but listen, I've been around people who walked with God so close, walked in such a life of obedience. When they walked into the room, it's like the kingdom came in with them. It just makes you sick <laughs> because they've got such a walk. But it, it, usually somebody has walked with God for a long time. They carry a presence with them. There is a presence that walks in with them. They may be very simple. They may be very nondescript. They may be very ordinary in their appearance, but when they walk in, something walks in with them. You feel it. There is a sphere of power around them. And you go, what is that? Well, they've been walking in obedience. And Jesus said, when somebody walks in obedience to me, I manifest myself to them. How many of you want to live that way? You know, I was reading about a, a, a certain uh, preacher from the 1800s. Matter of fact, it was Finney, Charles Finney. Charles Finney used to really walk with God in a very close way. And he kept a diary. And one part of his diary, he said he went, went on an ocean cruise to go to England to preach. And he was on the ship and he walked into this one room and this man walked up to him. And the man began to weep. And Charles Finney said, what is wrong with you? He said, sir. You convict me of sin. He hadn't said a word to him. What was that? See, the kingdom was resting on him, manifesting itself in his life. God didn't call us to vacancy. He called us to fullness. 
And there's the promise of Jesus himself. I will let myself, Jesus said, be clearly seen by him. And I will make myself real to him. Who? The person who obeys the word of God. There is a direct link according to the Lord's prayer between the kingdom of God manifesting itself and obedience. Now, how many of you want to have a church where the kingdom is manifested? I mean, the kingdom of God is manifested. Here's what I think we have as a church now, if I can just digress for a minute. We've got a church where a lot of the folks have been around the mountain a couple of times and we're sick and tired of playing games and religiosity and letting petty offenses drive us and we're ready to see the glory of God. So obedience and the presence of God's kingdom are firmly linked together by Jesus. Now let me make a distinction and I want you to watch this carefully. I'm going to make a distinction that will help between the kingdom of God and heaven. Heaven is a place. Can you say that with me? Heaven is a place. But the kingdom of God is a condition. Now I want to go kind of slow here. I want this to sink in. Those of you listening by radio, listen to what I'm saying to you. Heaven is the final destination of every child of God. Heaven is where we're going to go someday. It's a destination. But the kingdom of God is the condition enjoyed by the obedient child of God right now. Right now. Paul wrote, listen to this, Paul wrote, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Heaven is a location. God dwells there. We're all going to go there. But the kingdom of God is a condition. And here's the condition. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the condition of the kingdom of God. Heaven a place, kingdom of God a condition. So the condition that characterizes the kingdom of God in the believer's life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? Every day, you as a believer and I as a believer ought to be walking in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because that's the kingdom of God. And that's the condition we are to walk in as believers in Jesus Christ. That's what he purchased for us. Heaven's coming, but the kingdom of God is here. I'm going to say that again. Heaven is coming, but I'm not sitting around chewing my nails, experiencing nothing until the kingdom of heaven comes. No, the kingdom of God is here right now, and it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a place we go someday. It's a condition we enjoy right now. Everybody say right now. I mean, right now, this moment, and when you wake up in the morning and that alarm goes off, you can either say, oh, me or amen, and you can get up and live a miserable life, or you can say, uh-uh, I'm not called to misery. I'm not called to live in worry and fear and doubt and anxiety. I'm called to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. And if you're not experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. And I think those are in the exact order they ought to be in. Righteousness precedes peace and peace precedes joy. You're not ever going to have joy without peace and you're not ever going to have peace without righteousness. So when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, he was asking us to pray for the very thing we should. I want to walk in the kingdom of God on earth now. And I'm praying for it today. I like what George Mueller, the great uh, um, leader of the orphanage in, in uh, the days of Charles Spurgeon in 1800s London, uh, he never asked for a dime from anybody. But thousands and thousands and thousands, actually millions of dollars by the time he died, and that's when a dollar was a dollar, had been provided supernaturally to his orphanage. He cared for hundreds of children every day, George Mueller. He said, I make it my first business every morning to not leave the place of prayer until I have the joy of the Lord. Now, that's the deal. He knew what was his in God. Now, you can live in misery if you want to. You're about as happy as you want to be. Well, I'm just waiting for God to do something fresh in my life. Listen, lay hold of the promises of God. You'll wait the rest of your life. He said, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. And that is a condition that you're to live in as a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're walking around miserable all day, worried all day, fearful all day, stomach in a knot, can't sleep at night, listen, seek God as to why. That's not what he gave you. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Now watch this. One day Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was going to come. They said, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? Look what Jesus said. The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or with visible display, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it's there. And what did he say? Read it with me. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you, surrounding you. Jesus said that. I think they probably looked around and said, I don't, I don't see the kingdom of God. That's because they weren't walking with Jesus. Jesus is the key. He is the doorway into experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You're not going to get it hugging a tree. You're not going to get it from Muhammad. You're not going to get it from Buddha. You're not going to get it from Confucius. You're not going to get it from your own little philosophy. You're only going to get it by way of the cross and the blood. That's what he purchased for you. But if you go that way, you got righteousness, peace, and joy. From where? Smoking it? Toking it? Shooting it? Drinking it? No. From the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. I know I'm not. I'm kind of treaching. I'm going to treach on. What did he say last? Oh, he treached. Sometimes I try to teach and I don't succeed because this moves me. It ought to move you. We ought to be, if, if you're walking in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, you'll have the same effect on people that Jesus' prayer life had on the disciples. They watched him and they said, wow, 
is the wow factor. Wow. I want to pray that way. The wow factor. I want a church people walk in and go, I mean, just because they walk in and they see God moving. I don't want the yikes factor. People walk in there, yeah, yikes. I want wow. And see, when God's moving, that's what people do. The wow factor is there. And there ought to be a wow factor on you. The bottom line is this. When we as believers live in obedience to God's clearly revealed will, we'll experience the kingdom of God on earth, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not waiting for heaven to enjoy the kingdom of God. The moment we were saved, we were translated into the kingdom of God. The minute we were saved. Listen to this verse. The Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Into what? The kingdom of the Son of his love. I like the Message Bible version here. I had to put it in here. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Isn't that good stuff? While we do indeed wait for our final dwelling place in heaven, we have already been placed under a new king and into a new kingdom with incredible benefits. And what are they again? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we first pray over our own life. The first focus in this portion of the Lord's Prayer should be yourself. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here's the question. Am I willing to live the life or the kind of obedient life that will bring this about? That's the question. Because this is a conditional promise. There's an if. If I walk in the will of God, the kingdom will be manifested in my life. If I don't walk in the will of God and I don't walk in obedience, there'll be no manifestation of the kingdom in my life. What better way to keep your life in line with God's will than to every single day pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done first in my life. As a matter of fact, the, the The Greek verbiage here is more like this. The verb tense is more like this. Come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. So you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, I hallow your name. I thank you for your name. And I know you're my father. And I approach you knowing that you want to meet my needs. And you hear me because you love me like a father loves his child. And now, Lord, I'm praying, come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, in my life. And I'll back it up by doing, living obediently today to the best of my knowledge. And you can expect to see God's kingdom manifesting in your life when you live that way. We're asking God to keep you in the center of his will and are cooperating by a life of obedience. We should allow the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas of disobedience. 
and line up on a daily basis with God's purposes and God's Word. So if I really mean it, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and be manifested in my life. Then, Lord, show me any place in my life where I'm being disobedient, and I'll get it right, and I'll repent, and I'll walk with you. And you do that day after day, month after month, year after year. You walk into a room and something comes in with you. The presence of God follows you around. Jesus calls us to practice walking in the kingdom, blessings of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Brother Lawrence, uh, who wrote Practicing the Presence of God, an incredible book, he wrote this. The presence of the Lord could arguably be considered the single most important part of our lives. While in a sense it is always with us and we cannot live without it, we find ourselves hungering for God's presence more and more. Is that you? My experience is the more of God's presence you experience, the more you want. The less you experience, the less you want. We want to be hungry in this church. We want a hungry church, hungry for more of God. Well, I've had some of the presence of God with me today, but I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want more. I want more. I'm hungry for him. Isn't that good? Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. (laughs) Praise God. The Lord's prayer leads us directly into the presence of God in our lives. Now, next, after you prayed over yourself, you pray over your family, your mate, your children, other family members, you pray over them. Now, listen carefully. The most important thing that can happen for them is what's most important for you, that they would come into line with God's will and as a result, enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. We have one life, folks, and it goes in a heartbeat, in a blink. One life. One life. I'm going to show you something. Dollar bill. Here's your life. This is your life right here. And if I give it to you and you take it and say, I've got a dollar. You do have a dollar. And you can spend it any way you want. But you can only spend it once. You can spend it on junk food, junk time, junk thinking, junk living. Or you can spend it for the glory of God. This is your life. God gave it to you. He gave you a will. And you can live it any way you want. Go ahead. But you can only live it once. (laughs) And while I'm at it, I can take this and I can wad it all up crinkle it up, smash it, abuse it, spit on it, throw it on the ground. I can stomp on it. That bill has seen some hard living. But you know what? If I threw it your way, it's got the same value. That's why anybody who walks in here, if they look like this, they've got the same value to God. Same value. What we do, 
we unwrinkle them. <laughs> and we preach and we teach and we preach and we love on them. And finally, eventually, they look a whole lot better. But they never lost their value. Never did. <laughs> you know what, Alex? There you go. Whoa, I'm throwing dollars away. Take that home for a souvenir. Remember what I was teaching on it. Don't spend it. You can spend it any way you want, but you only spend it once. Now, then you pray over your church. You pray over the pastor, the leadership, faithfulness of the people, and the harvest. Here's what you need to know, what you need to know about church. A church walking in obedience to God's will becomes an incredible force in the earth. Incredible. And you can count on the fact that your church is under spiritual attack. You can count on it. And it must be held up in prayer. Your church, this church is under spiritual attack. Any church that is sharing the word and touching people is under spiritual attack. So pray over your church, your pastor, the leadership, the people, the harvest. All right? And finally, pray over your nation. City, state, national, political, and spiritual leaders. Pray over them. Come kingdom of God to this country. Lord, we're in trouble in this country. We've got to come back to God before it's eternally too late. So pray over this country. Pray for revival. Pray that God has mercy. Pray that God send his spirit again. You pray over that. If my people call by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So we got to pray. All right, let's stand and take a little time to pray God's kingdom over ourselves, can we? How many of you are determined you're going to walk in the blessings of the kingdom of God every day? Every day. Stay with God until you've got that peace. Get right with him and peace will flow. Walk in that peace and joy will flow. Let's go to him. Father, we just thank you right now. I want you to pray with me, church. Let's pray the kingdom of God over our own lives. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in my life, in our lives. Lord, if there's any area of disobedience, if there's any area of sin that is blocking the Holy Spirit in our life, if there's any habit or any rebellion, any area, Lord, that we have reserved for ourselves and have refused to yield to the Lordship of Jesus, forgive us, Lord. For you said the kingdom of God is within you. It's among you. It's surrounding you. And, Lord, we know that kingdom is righteousness because of the blood, and it's also right living in obedience. And we know, Lord, that peace follows that righteousness and that joy follows that peace. And so, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name to put us in the epicenter of the will of God, right in the center. Now, I want you to take a minute, everybody. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk, I want us to take a couple of minutes and I want you to pray, Lord, put me in the center. Put me in the epicenter. Put me right smack in the bullseye of the will of God for my life. 
And then from there, go out and pray for your family and pray for your church as we just worship. I want you to go ahead and pray yourself. I'm not going to lead you. I want you to take a couple of minutes right where you are. If you want to come to the altar, you can do that. Uh, the altar is open. But if you want to pray right where you are, that's good. But